Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're talking about a lone wolf and it's a story local to me here in Victoria, British Columbia on Vancouver Island. I'm joined by Cheryl Alexander who is a conservation photographer based in Victoria. Beginning in 2014 she photographed the unusual phenomenon of a lone wolf that lived on a cluster of small islands about one and a half kilometers off the coast of Victoria. Cheryl wrote a book called Takaya Lone Wolf which explains and documents the remarkable life of this wolf that lives so close to a city of 300,000 people. This story resonates with me. When I walk my dog I can see the island where Takaya spent most of his time. A few summers ago my daughter kayaked to the island and camped overnight hearing the wolf howl during the night. This amazing animal was almost a neighbour. Anyway, let's hear about this remarkable story from the real expert. Welcome Cheryl. Hi Richard, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Thank you for joining us. there's several photos in the book that sum everything up for me. They show the wolf standing on the island and in the background you can see the buildings on the Victoria coastline. Um, it shows to me just how close this animal is living to humans. You must have thought about this situation many times when you were photographing Takaya. Uh, yes, it was one of the very remarkable uh, aspects of this wolf's life that he chose to stay on a very small group of islands so close to people. Uh, The islands are uninhabited, so he wasn't um, going to encounter uh, houses or population on the islands, but just a short way across the water was a busy um, city. And in fact, often when I was out in the islands, you would hear construction, uh, he would hear dogs barking uh, from the mainland and, It was a very strange backdrop for the life of a lone wild wolf. So um, when you were photographing the wolf, um, how how did you do it? Were you shooting from a a kayak or an inflatable? Were you you on the island itself or both? Uh, Quite a combination. I started out, um, I I frequently would kayak out to the islands uh, or go out in a small boat and Uh, When I began to more seriously document the life of this wolf, I had a lot of camera equipment, um, you know, a big lens that doesn't really lend itself to kayaking. So I had a small um, runabout boat. And for the most part, when I photographed him, I would be on the water. Uh, Occasionally, I was on shore uh, when he was nearby or sometimes he would uh, come near where I was on shore Uh, but for the most part I was on the water. Now with the photos and they are remarkable photos it looks like the wolf is looking straight at you. Is that the case? Well, yes, uh, that was a wonderful part of my relationship that developed with uh, Takea. He um, would sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes would be looking directly into my eyes and it was a very intense experience. Uh, People who have, other people who have seen wolves often remark on how 
how powerful looking into the eyes of a wolf is. And I can say that for me, that was certainly the case. Interestingly, though, he often would not look directly at me. And if he was um, uh, occupied in doing other things or comfortable sleeping or even sometimes just uh, seeing what I was doing, he would look slightly off to the side. And this is very common in wolves. They often don't like to maintain direct eye contact. Yes, I, I was... I read those comments from the other people who'd encountered wolves with, with great interest. You, you, you think it would be powerful if you are indeed, uh, what's the term, an, an apex predator, you know, top of the food chain. Yes, I, I think, you know, it's not only that you're looking at an apex predator, a very powerful um, being, it's also that there's something uh, very... Um, mysterious and uh, in a way ancient about the gaze of a wolf and people often say that it looks it feels as if a wolf is looking right through you and I can attest to that it often felt that he was seeing into me in a way that isn't common with any other encounter of an animal that I've ever had including with dogs so what was your closest encounter with the wolf? Uh, I, I, I would say it was about maybe 10 feet away. Uh, and he, I was very careful to not approach him and come into his um, space to allow him to just be living his life. Uh, I was a, an observer and he, when he, if he, if he did approach me, if I was on land, it was often very cautiously and he would sometimes lay down uh, fairly close, but always within a certain um, safe distance. So he had a very clear uh, personal distance around himself that he did not want anyone uh, to enter. And if I, I observed a person trying to get close to him which was really stupid and the he simply leaves he, he would simply leave and vanish into the woods so um, yeah it was a uh, it was very interesting uh, to experience uh, his closeness but I was never right beside him so you so the wolf recognized you Yes, after um, when I started being fascinated and interested in documenting his life, I was very far away usually and just observing. And I think slowly he began to recognize my scent and also my probably my boat. And he began to, I think, feel comfortable that I was not a threat to him. When I, as he, as the years went on, he would often, if I would uh, arrive where he was uh, doing whatever he was doing in that part of his day, he would often take a big sniff and then recognize it was me and then just carry on with his life. So um, I was concerned initially about um, uh, perhaps uh, habituating him in a way that would be um, 
problematic for him. And so I actually contacted David Meech uh, in the first year I was watching him. And David Meech is a world-renowned um, expert on wolves. And I phoned him up and I just said, look, this is the situation. This is what I'm doing. What do you think? Um, he is doing. He said, oh, you know, he simply has learned to trust you and to understand that you are not a threat to him. So what you do in observing him is not at all problematic for him. And uh, so I was reassured by that. And, uh, and and that is actually what I found with other people. He still was extremely cautious and would often uh, just disappear if people were in the vicinity. So there's all sorts of unanswered questions, I guess. Um, but w why did this animal stay for so long on an island or a small group of islands away from other wolves when they normally exist in packs? Yeah, really good question. And one I think we'll probably never really fully understand. Um, I honestly don't know why he chose to stay there. My guess is that he had gotten himself there. I don't know if you realize, but he, when he arrived there in May 2012, he was there for a couple of months. Um, the authorities tried to trap him and failed. And then he decided in the August of that year to carry on on his journey, I think. And he swam about five nautical miles to Trial Island, which is a um, the a lighthouse, barren lighthouse uh, island just offshore. This is documented because the lighthouse keeper saw him and photographed him. He then went into the water again from there and started swimming out the Strait uh, of Georgia, uh, Strait of Juan de Fuca. And he ended up uh, encountering a fish boat that was bearing down on him. I think freaked him out. He turned around, he swam back to the Trial Island Lighthouse, and then he ended up two days later back on this small group of islands. My guess is that he had found a territory that he could feel safe in, and that he also could feed himself there. So he had no trouble um, finding prey, uh, which was very unusual because there were no deer ungulates or any kind of normal prey that you would imagine a wolf would need to eat. There are no small mammals there, land mammals. So he chose seals and he ended up um, having a very good diet of marine mammals. And I think he had found um, his territory. And so he decided to stay. So wolves travel uh, big distances normally when they're in the pack hunting. Um, this was a small this this is a small um landmass just a couple of several islands um is that also not odd that it was such a small area for a territorial animal it's very very unusual <laughs> he's he actually is probably holds the record of having the smallest territory for a wolf anywhere in the world he his his complete landmass territory is about one and a half kilometer square kilometers or 0.7 square miles so you can see how tiny that is um, when generally wolves will need and use about uh, 60 to 600 square miles or 1500 uh, kilometers square kilometers and um, he one of the things i think the reason that this worked for him is because he had such a really good um, uh, source of prey there and he had a vast uh, coastline. 
in which to hunt. So although there were small uh, islands, they, they had a lot of shoreline and he used the sea for his uh, food. So if he ate uh, seals, what did he do for fresh water on the islands? I, I don't think there is a natural source of water. No, that was very mysterious uh, for me as I started to look into his life. There is no uh, full uh, year-round source of fresh water on the islands. There's no stream, there's no uh, lake or pond. There are what are called vernal ponds, um, which are ponds that, uh, water areas that fill up it at, at the wet times of year and some years they will keep water in them for most of the year the sort of some marshy areas but there were a few years there and in 2016 was an extremely dry year uh, and everything had dried up and what I found was he was actually digging in these areas where he would typically find water down to five six foot huge holes uh, presumably searching for water and uh, I'm not sure how he survived with the lack of water, but I one of the my guesses is that he used the water from his prey. So he it, it actually coincides with pupping season and he was able to kill a lot of seal pups during that time. So with the seals, he, he, he would hunt them when they pulled themselves up onto the rocks. He'd sort of pounce on them in that way. <laughs> yeah, he did. I I spent a lot of time trying to actually record that. I uh, was able to photograph and um, film him moments after he had caught a seal. But in all the time I was out there, I never was able to catch him in the act of doing it. But he actively hunted even large seals uh, that must have been, you know, more than his own body mass in weight. So it was quite a remarkable um, thing that this wolf was able to do. Fortunately for him, there are tons of seals haul out there uh, in all kinds of places. So I found seal uh, carcasses and seal kills in uh, everywhere around the islands and sometimes up on high bluffs and sometimes in the mi very middle of the forest. So in the book, you talk about um, programs that existed to exterminate wolves in, in British Columbia. Um, it, are attitudes changing towards wolves in, in our part of the world or is it still are you still concerned about them from a conservation point of view I would say uh, attitudes are not changing quickly enough in our part of the world we in BC still routinely uh, allow up to about 1200 wolves per year killed for purely recreational purposes. There's trapping, ongoing trapping of wolves. There is uh, an active wolf cull, which is intended to try and uh, protect the mountain caribou, but in my opinion is very misguided. Uh, it really is habitat that is the prime issue, not the wolves, and it's our use of wilderness areas. So we continue to not have a very good um, track record on how we treat our wolves. In, in, on Vancouver Island, um, hunters are allowed to, and in fact, even encouraged uh, to kill wolves. And this is uh, based on the, the thought that they are helping to conserve deer uh, and that wolves are taking the deer. This is not uh, something that is supported scientifically. And um, 
a hunter doesn't even need a special tag on Vancouver Island to uh, kill, shoot a wolf. They can shoot up to three wolves uh, on a self-reporting basis, uh, should they choose to. Um, now, perhaps we can talk about the the legacy that Takaya uh, left behind. Um, and perhaps you can also explain what happened at the end. The wolf left the island and actually came into the city. It was widely reported in the media. Uh, perhaps you can explain what happened then and, and perhaps talk about the legacy of this remarkable animal. Uh, yeah, this is a really hard part of the story for me. Uh, it, for for unknown reasons, uh, Takea decided to leave the islands at the end of January last year. And it could have been that he didn't actually even decide to leave the islands. He may have been swept away uh, by some of the very strong currents and storms that were happening at that time of year, much like they are this year and uh, he routinely swam back and forth across between the islands and there's some very um, uh, heavily currented uh, places he would have to swim across so he could have been swept away uh, other theories are he was looking for a female although he'd been on the island for eight years you would have thought he might have looked for a female uh, sooner than that um, and uh, someone else other experts thought maybe it was food uh, and I don't believe that. He had uh, been doing very well. He had never lacked for food on the island. Uh, he had no problem killing seals. So um, so why he left is a big mystery. We'll never know, I don't think. He ended up, as you said, deep in the city. He was uh, roaming the city in a very strange way, not at all interacting with people or dogs or cats or anything. He wasn't aggressive. Um, and two days after... Uh, being seen in the city, he was captured by the Conservation Service. Sadly, I think, the Conservation Service made a really bad decision and they um, expediently decided they would put him, relocate him. Normally, the, the, uh, the good part about Takea and the, the fame he had developed uh, up, partly through the film that I had uh, made about his life is that he was a, a known wolf and he had um, quite a lot of uh, people caring about him. So instead of shooting him as they normally would do with a carnivore in, who had come into the city, they, they agreed to, they captured him and relocated him uh, just outside of Victoria in a wilderness area that was very near to a small village called Port Renfrew. Unfortunately, um, this was an area where there are active hunters, trappers, um, people, other wolf packs, which are very problematic for, a, for a, a lone older wolf to integrate into an existing pack. And he, he survived for um, two months out in this area, but he came into close close into this village and ended up having some encounters with people with their dogs and i think he really um was longing for companionship he had not ever had any kind of canine companionship in all of the eight years he was on these islands and all of a sudden there were some dogs that he could actually possibly interact with he was very interested not aggressive curious and so this actually and his comfort 
with people. He had come to trust people in his eight years out on the islands because he was protected. No one was um, uh, doing behaving badly uh, towards him at all. So although he still kept a very, very careful distance between himself and people, he still had a degree of trust in them. Sadly, uh, <laughs> really sadly, uh, we let him down um, he trusted us and in the end a hunter who was out looking for his lost uh, coon dogs it was a cougar hunter uh, male or female not sure which uh, but Takea came out of the uh, a ditch and saw this the dogs uh, that he that the hunter had just put back in their truck and was wa just simply standing there watching and this is according to the report from the hunter who then decided that he would shoot him. So he raised his gun and from about 15 meters away, he shot and killed Takea. I'm so this, sorry. Oh God, it was, it was and still is extremely uh, painful and also just so um, unnecessary. He, I believe was on his way back to his islands. He was probably over about two thirds of the way back. Uh, to his islands and I think had he been able to um, be uh, left alone he would have found his way back to the islands. So what would have been your preferred solution after the uh, wolf was captured in the city? I I absolutely think he should have been put back on in, onto the islands, onto his island territory. Um, conservation, the only reason they gave for not doing that was they said well he left for a reason uh, well, we don't actually know that and we don't have any idea what that reason might have been if he did leave for a reason. So uh, he should have been given a chance and put back in the only territory he really had ever known for all of his life. And for a wolf, he was an old wolf. Uh, wolves do not normally live that long in the wild. And he was probably about 11 to 12 years old. So it was very tragic uh, that they made the decision that they did to uh, relocate him, I, I believe. So I I knew this when I was reading the book and it kind of gives it a bit of a, if, although the book is joyful and you know extremely interesting and informative, um, it also makes the reading experience a little bit somber. Um, is that a shared experience of other people said that to you? <laughs> um, yes and no. I, I have received um, mail from people all over the world who have have said how grateful they are that I've shared the life of this wolf with people. Um, they, many people reading the book don't know until afterwards they Google and find out that he was in fact killed. Um, it is tragic. Uh, on the other hand, it's a bit of a call to arms and uh, Takea has left a remarkable legacy behind. There has been um, an outpouring of uh, emotion around his fate and around how we have to work really hard to avoid this happening to other wolves and other wildlife in in the future. So people have produced art uh, in tribute to Takea. We, we had um, a few months ago, we had a, a Takea first annual international arts festival with um, art produced by artists, uh, over 60 artists from about a dozen different countries around the world who had just spontaneously produced this art in honor of Takea. 
So you can see that it's a, it's a very uh, powerful legacy that he's left us, uh, although tragic, in a way that has contributed to the power of his legacy, sadly. Indeed, yes, and sadly. Um, okay, my final question, Cheryl, we ask all our guests, uh, but what book or books are you currently reading? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that and I sort of laughed. I, I'm going to have to tell you because, you know, my husband has said my book cases have become over the last six years overflowing with wolf books. And um, in fact, right now I'm reading The Carnivore Way, uh, which is by Christina Eisenberg. And um, I'm doing that because there is a good possibility that she and I and a couple of other uh, wolf activists in the U.S. are going to have a, uh, an online um, discussion period. And so I've picked up that book, which I hadn't read before. And I'm also reading The Lost Spells for a bit more um, lightness by Robert McFarlane. Okay. I have to admit that when I was reading your book, I thought of Cry Wolf by Farley Mowat. Because um, I read that when I first came to Canada, and it it's a special book. But also when you realize the impact that it had with uh, discussions in the media and discussions in Parliament, um, it, it just shows just how emotive things can be when you're discussing wolves or, or a wolf. Yes, that uh, I agree with you. Um, I that book had a big impact on me many years ago as well. And you know, my aim for my book uh, is that it has as much of an impact and as wide of an impact as Farley Mowat's book had, and that it it elevates the discussion around wolves. People who get to know an individual wolf. Uh, I, I believe will have a different attitude toward wolves in general. And it can spark us to think about wolves as not just a population of wolves, but as the, that population being made up of many individual wolves like Takea. All right. Okay, Cheryl, thank you. Um, so, so that's all we have time for this week. Uh, many thanks to Cheryl Alexander, the author of Takea, Lone Wolf. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Richard, for having me on and for giving me a chance to talk about my book. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for listening. My name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you all again soon. Yeah.